I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Grant Paulson is one half of The Grant and Danny Show on 106.7 The Fan, and he is my guest today. Grant, how you doing? Good, Douglas. How you doing? Doing very good, thank you. Uh, congratulations are in order. You guys are moving into the drive time, which is just about as big as it comes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's a cool deal, and we're honored about it. Obviously, in radio, you know, the drive slots in the morning and in afternoons during commutes are where people want to be. And I grew up listening to 1067 before it was the fan, when it was uh, WJFK, the Super Talks, you know, the, the Guy Talk Station, and, and the you know, the free FM and all through the years, dating all the way back to Stern and Opie and Anthony and uh, Don and Mike and, and all the great shows that have been on that station during my lifetime. So it's quite a thrill. It's uh, pretty humbling and nerve wracking to take over the afternoon drive slot um, from so many people who have done so well over the years. Um, and, uh, and I've had great respect for all of them. So it's going to be fun, and we're pumped about it, and we're happy that they're giving us this chance. So we'll see how it goes starting on Monday. Now, it will double your uh, on-air time. I'm curious what some of the what, – what that will entail going forward when you have so much more air time to fill. Yeah, I mean, we're getting an extra half hour a day now or so. We're going to be going from 2 to 6.30 rather than the uh, 10 to 2 slot. So – I mean, that will add, you know, and complicate some things in terms of just, you know, letting the show breathe a little more maybe or, or possibly like a starting pitcher going an extra half inning, having to conserve some in the tank possibly. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, you know, the, the shows generally are as good as the, the content we're provided and we try to put a little spice on it, but hopefully there's a lot going on in D.C. sports, national sports and, and things going on that interest us, you know, whether it's movies or, or food stuff or, you know, video games for Danny, TV shows, things like that. But um, I, there's never been a shortage of things to talk about for us. We've never had a problem filling airtime. So I don't anticipate that to start now. Uh, I'm always curious when talking to the radio guys, uh, if you have like the craziest copy that they've ever asked you to read on air. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't really, I mean... You know, we don't get sprung anything. You know what I mean? We, we read yeah. uh, commercials that we kind of agree to ahead of time with companies that we endorse. And I, I, I call them endorsements, right? Not reads, because for me, I'm, I'm not reading something I don't believe in. You know, even if it's a company uh, that I'm not particularly familiar with, I might put my own spin on it, so to speak. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I... I um, I only really endorse companies I work with or have, have succeeded working with, whether it's weight loss company or if, if it's a mattress, it's a mattress I'm sleeping on or a pillow, it's a pillow I'm using. Uh, you don't hear me talking about things that, uh, that I don't think in some way aren't, aren't, um, you know, aren't legit or can't benefit people. No, I respect it. Uh, the other thing on the business side of things, uh, recently radio.com bought out 980. Now, Purely from a listener standpoint, it seems like there was a lot of competition between the two networks before, the radio stations before. How have you found the mingling of those two? 
longtime, I don't know if adversaries necessarily is the right word, but yeah, I mean, we were competitors and I, I still think we are, to be honest, we're under the same umbrella. You know, we, we both are intercom companies now, radio stations, but uh, my job is to have as many people listening to the show that I'm doing in my time slot as possible. So whether I'm you know, working, quote unquote, for intercom and so are they or not, um, if someone chooses to, to listen to a football segment on, on another station than mine, uh, that stings a little bit. I, you know, I, I try not to take it personally. I mean, but, you know, you, you're you're selling a product and so are they. So you want yours to be the best and the most popular. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a competition. It's friendly. It's healthy. I'll say this. I mean, I, I, I view those guys and even before did as colleagues. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm not going to be upset if, if they're not doing better than us at some point. Right. Um, which luckily for us, you know, we we've done really well in, in our time slot in middays in that matchup. But, um, you know, I, I love those guys. I'm good friends with a lot of them. I keep in touch on the phone with guys like Steve Zabin or Kevin Sheehan or Brian Mitchell is one of my favorite players of all time. And, and a mentor of mine and not only in the business, but a guy that I got to know as a kid. Um, so there are plenty of people on that staff that I really admire. Um, the other thing to remember too, Douglas, is we're not in studio now. So there's going to be a time when we're, we're down the hall from each other or they're in one room and we're in another, and that will be uncomfortable maybe at times. But right now we're all sitting at our houses doing these shows. So it's not like you're seeing them. It doesn't feel any different. Nothing's really changed from the, the standpoint of sitting down and doing your show. So it's only something that comes up when either, you know, you're asked about it or, or you think about it, I guess, for some reason. The junkies have cameras in the morning. Do you guys plan on doing that in the afternoons? I'd be open to it. There's no talk about doing that. I don't, I don't think that's something that's imminent or, or that, um, you know, we expect to have happen. Um, but, you know, I, I think it adds something. I do think it's fun. Uh, you know, radio is, is probably meant not to be looked at. It's kind of boring. But um, the momentum and the, the shift in the industry, I think, has been that people like quality, high-end conversation whether that's just someone staring into a microphone or a camera or whatever, you know, there's a lot of TV shows where two people kind of fake arguments and yell at each other. And it's not my bag. I mean, some people like it. I kind of prefer watching radio shows that are broadcast on TV. So it's not something I'd be opposed to, but it's certainly not something I don't think that anyone should expect anytime in the near future. Well, we got a playoff game today, so let's uh, get to it. A little bit of football. Uh, if I asked you about all the major things that had happened this year, coaching changes and cancer scares, sexual allegations and name changes, what do you think is the biggest storyline for the franchise this year? Being back in the playoffs, I think it's where you got to start. I mean, not, not to belittle any of those major things off the field, but I, I think people uh, first and foremost this weekend would lead with that, just the sixth playoff appearance since a 1991 Sioux season that led it to a Super Bowl win um, and, and only the fourth division championship since that time, which is pretty crazy to think about. Having said that, um, I think the biggest difference this year, the biggest story for me surrounding Washington, and it works to the Rivera cancer scare and fight that he had, as well as what Dan Snyder's going through with a uh, fight with ownership and the, the harassment uh, scandal that is, uh, belied this organization that they brought on themselves based on the workplace over the years is that uh, I think the perception of this team nationally is better than it's been in a long time. I think that the national media likes this team more than it has in a long time. 
because they like Ron Rivera and they like Alex Smith. And I think those two figures specifically uh, Rivera is just beloved. Everybody who's ever met him or dealt with him that covers football seems to root for him and want good things for him. So they, they put him over, you know, he gets uh, that kind of bump from the national media, which is something the, the football team's benefiting from, which I like uh, Smith similarly is an amazing story. And I, I hope they make a movie about it. I, I hope Ryan Gosling plays him. I think they look kind of alike. Uh, and I hope that, uh, that I get to sit in the theater and watch it one day. It's, it's incredible. Um, people really like and root for Alex Smith and they should, he's a sensational human being uh, by all accounts. And he's a leader of men, the likes of which, you want in your building, you want as your quarterback. But I think around the country, similarly to Rivera, I think people want him to thrive. And, and when they talk about this team, they talk about that. So again, it's positive vibes there. They made some hires too, that were really successful. That seemed to be working where it counts, you know, in terms of production on and off the field, but also, you know, that were good moves from just a, a cultural standpoint, from a, a image standpoint, from a PR standpoint, you know, they went and, and they, they made decisions that were out of the box where they, thought a little differently than they have in the future. And they, they made history. They broke ground. I mean, they hired a, an African-American team president, Jason Wright, who I've gotten to know a little bit. and seems like a brilliant guy. They've hired Julie Donaldson, who I know well from her time with me at NBC Sports Washington. Of course, her work there far exceeds and outdates me, but um, she did a, a lot there for a long time. And she's working hard with the organization now too. So uh, I just think in general, whether it was those stories that got a lot of positive coverage, Rivera, Smith, Generally, people look at them and they scoff and they poke fun, and you're not seeing a lot of that right now, which is good. And to your point, it seems like the league is in love with Chase Young as well. And I feel like well, it's been a while since we've had a guy that everybody else wants. I didn't even think about him, honestly. That That's a great addition because, look, I love Chase Young as much as anybody, and, and I hope this doesn't come off in any way as disrespectful to him or the season he had. I think he's unbelievable. Um, but I mean, he is talked about like he is already one of the two or three best players in the league on defense or at his position. And I'm not sure that that's actually the case yet. I think he's great. And I'm, I'm amazed by him. And I think he's going to be, a, you know, an all pro and a great player for a long time. But, you know, he got to the Pro Bowl in his first season in a year in which he had a, a total of seven and a half sacks. Now, I think that sack total is misleading. I think he's been way more impactful than that and does way more than that. But generally, you can't get to the Pro Bowl with seven and a half sacks. That's an impossibility. When he was named to the Pro Bowl, I think he had five and a half or six or something like that. And there are guys with 12 at the time that that didn't make it or 11. So um, he is well-liked. I mean, there's not a national pundit that isn't singing his praises. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. You know what I mean? I like that hype. I like that focus. I like that positivity. Uh, and I'm glad he's ours here in Washington, D.C. And I'm glad he's the football teams because that he's a baller. And he seems like from a – a mental standpoint as a leader, I think that he gets it. And I think he's what works in this league. And I think, you know, talking about changing a culture is good. You know, you can talk all day about changing the culture, 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 culture. For the most part, you know, that's a thing that just, it's actions, right? It happens. You, you know what a good culture is. Like, they're not talking about culture in New England. They just have a culture. Chase Young's the kind of guy that lives what you want out of your culture. That's what culture looks like to me. So I'm pumped about him. Yeah, no doubt. Um, uh, there's been GM talk, uh, lots of teams looking to fill needs. I had assumed that Washington wouldn't be one of those, that they just continue on the way they have been. Uh, if you believe when Ron Rivera said at his press conference that he took the job because the cupboard's fairly full, uh, that is Kyle Smith. 
but yet here we are. I'm curious your thoughts on Kyle Smith and and where the front office might be heading. Yeah, you know, I think it might still be to be determined, perhaps. You know, I don't know that it's based on if they beat the Bucks or make a run or or any of that, but I do think it's largely undetermined what, what's going to happen at the end of the year. I've always thought that Ron Rivera, though, is going to hire somebody to be the next GM that he is extremely comfortable with, uh, that marches to the beat of his drum, and that um, he feels really good about, and um, who sees football the same way as him. I don't think they need to agree on everything, but I think it needs to be someone who's kind of a you know, thinks like Ron Rivera. And if, if Kyle Smith has proven this year that that's him, then I think it, it could be Kyle Smith. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I'm anticipating, though, that it, it will be someone else um, just based on what we've seen from Rivera so far since he got here, which is that you know, he's very comfortable hiring his own guys, you know, whether it's all the way up at the top of the front office where Eric Schaefer leaves and, and they bring in um, Rogers to, to do all of the negotiating of deals, or, you know, you look at the scouting department, the, the people that they brought in are, were dismissed from the Panthers largely um, on the coaching staff. I mean, almost every single position coach that they have came from Carolina or spent considerable time with Rivera at some point. Um, and then on the field, you, you've seen it in the way of Thomas Davis thought that was really smart by Rivera to, to come establish your program. And, um, and even Kyle Allen, I mean, there is, he's very clearly someone who likes some continuity and, and cohesion and people around him that he can trust in the foxhole. And that's not a knock. I'm very similar in that way. If, you know, if I got a, a radio gig, I had to start in another market soon, I would call a bunch of people that I've worked with and maybe try to get a band together that I know I can succeed with. Um, but that doesn't necessarily bode well for some of the incumbents. It, it hasn't obviously. Um, I think Kyle Smith's done a great job. I'll start with that. I mean, he should be a candidate for the GM job. Um, I would probably appoint him the GM for the reason that I think that Washington, you want to talk about culture, has had a culture where for a long time they didn't always take care of some of their best employees behind the scenes, and they didn't always look out for some of those folks that have gone on to be great elsewhere. Uh, on the field occasionally, but and I'm talking off the field, whether it's, you know, LaFleur blown out, could get to the Super Bowl this year, Kyle Shanahan blown out as coach in a Super Bowl, Sean McVay, same thing, one of the great coaches in the league. Um, you look at John Schneider in Seattle is one of the better GMs started here. Trent Baalke, uh turned San Francisco into an NFC juggernaut at one point, started here. And I could go on and on with the list of, of the candidates. Uh, Arthur Smith right now is the hottest coaching candidate there is, cut his teeth here. And that doesn't mean all those guys should just always stay here and should never move on, but I do think that at times over the years, there has been a, a infatuation with what's on the outside rather than what's already in your building. And that goes back to me kind of learning about that the first time with Champ Bailey. I remember him feeling like he had been disrespected when they didn't want to give him the contract he wanted. And he was kind of over it. He'd watched all these dudes like Dion and players come in here and get paid at his position. And then when it was his turn after five years and 81 games or whatever it was, and the team didn't seem as interested. Uh, and he ended up getting moved, obviously, in the, in the Portis trade. But a long story short, you, you look at what they did in free agency with McKissick and Logan Thomas and, and Cornelius Lucas and Ronald Darby. The offseason they had, I thought, was marvelous. You know, as a draft, TBD still, there's some picks, Antonio Gandy-Golden or Sadiq Charles, where we got to wait and see what they become. But we already know that Antonio Gibson's really good, pick 66 in the third round. We know that uh, – 
you know, that they hit on Cam Curl in the seventh round, even if he comes back to earth next year, you've already won with that selection. And, uh, and, and you know, what, what they got again in Chase Young at, at number two, not that that was breaking news, but I mean, this has been a, a really, really helpful draft class. So if this was an audition for Kyle Smith, I don't think it could have gone any better. Glad you brought up um, Cameron Curl. Has he Wally pipped Landon Collins? It's a good question. And I think some people think that that's the case. I No is the answer. I mean, first of all, I, I would have to look at, and I'll probably do this as soon as we end our conversation because I haven't yet, and it, it brings something up that I need to do. I'd have to look at his contract structure. My guess is it's going to be hard to get out of that deal. They paid him a lot of money. They'd be dead money there, uh, even if they wanted to do that. But I don't know that they would. I think those two guys coexist pretty well, frankly. I think while Cam Curl's been outstanding in the box and uh, making plays and, and being aggressive, you know, Landon Collins, the closer to the line of scrimmage you play him, the better. Uh, he's, you know, to me, like a, uh, a linebacker, almost like a fourth linebacker type safety. Um, there are guys around the league like that. I'm sure he wouldn't want to hear that, but I think that's when he's at his best. I think Curl can cover, you know, we've seen him in the slot. We saw him jam and get a pick uh, against Zach Ertz this past week. He's actually got interceptions in, in three of Washington's last four games, which doesn't mean he can cover, but I do believe that they like him in the nickel at times. They like kicking him inside as a, you know, as a third safety before Landon Collins got hurt when they still had, um, they're, they're safeties that, that they planned on having. So, yeah, I, I think that Cameron Curl will play next year, and I think he is going to be a mainstay. But I think Collins will be back in his role, and they'll be able to coexist. Whether they're the two safeties or if you go get someone else and, and you keep Curl as a third guy, I think that's possible. Like, I loved the early part of the season. I think Curl's ex- responded brilliantly in, to this playtime. But I like they drafted him for a specific purpose and for a role that he was executing really well. Like the, the one that Kaishan Jarrett had a few years ago. Yep. It's like a hybrid extra DB that, that played all over the place. And I think Curl was doing that at a high level. So in, in a perfect world, maybe you have Collins in the box, somebody playing free like you've seen from Everett or Jeremy Reeves. And then you've got Curl in that kind of rover role. Grant, are you here to talk me off the Deshaun Watson hype train? I'd be happy to talk you off of it. I mean, here's the thing. This is a Douglas. This is a a two-parter in that number one, you should want Deshaun Watson. You should want Washington to move mountains to get Deshaun Watson. And if he somehow became available, they should do that. Uh, Every team, I would say there's probably 20 to 25 teams in the league that should do that. Um, I don't think he'll be available. I've gone on record on air as saying if I was the Texans, I was tra- I would trade him, and I think most people think I'm crazy. Uh, this isn't a, a Texans show, so I won't spend a lot of time breaking down why that makes sense, but just know that Bill O'Brien ran them into the ground, and I think while he is uh, Deshaun Watson, unbelievable, and will keep them relevant in 500 or 9 or 10 wins good potentially over the next couple of years, I think it's going to be really hard for them to win anything meaningful with their lack of picks and their lack of money in the roster that they currently have. So for that reason, they should consider trading him for a record amount of compensation, which is what they get back. But nobody's ever moved a quarterback under team control of the caliber of Deshaun Watson with the number of years left on the deal in the prime of his career. And for that reason, with that precedent not having been set, I just don't think it's going to happen. If for some reason, hypothetically, he was available, Douglas, Washington should offer up three first round picks and, you know, maybe another non first round pick or something and and try to do that. 
but I, I think we're playing with monopoly money here and we're kind of playing some fantasy football, but I bet it's going to be talked about a lot all off season because until we know definitively, it's not going to happen. It's something worth throwing out there for fun or otherwise. Yep. Uh, if I ask you which surprised you more this season, the secondary for Washington or their offensive line play, where would you stand on that? Yeah, I love that question. And I would say the, the secondary. So the O-line has been a pleasant surprise in that the left side of the line with Cornelius Lucas, who's been above average, I would say, and Wes Schweitzer at left guard, who's been a stalwart since they plugged him in. They've both exceeded my expectations, but I expected the line to be pretty solid. Chase Rullier has been good since he got here and, and just got his contract extension, which was deserved. Brandon Sheriff at right guard, who was just named a first-team All-Pro. Washington hadn't had a first-team All-Pro since 1996 when Matt Turk, who was a punter, got the honor. I mean, he's been one of the better guards in the league for a long time. And is it a perennial pro bowler? The only question with him is his health. So you knew he'd be good. And, and Morgan Moses is a guy I've been higher on than, than I think most people for a while. I like him. I know he didn't have a great year last year, but he, he was way more hurt than people know that he was last year. Um, having said all that, you know, from center to, to right tackle, 60% of the line I already thought was, was above average, you know, in, in some cases, in Sheriff's case, helped him to play at an elite level from time to time. Um, the left side I was worried about, and they've been better than anticipated. But I was really nervous about the secondary. I thought Fuller was mostly a nickel guy that they were going to play on the boundary, and I thought he was going to struggle pretty handily. I did too. Immensely, yeah. I was worried about that. Um, they paid him $10 million, and again, we're talking Kyle Smith, scouting department, Rivera, whoever. They were right about that. Um, Ronald Darby. I watched Ronald Darby in Philly get – beat badly time and time and time again. And I watched him get hurt a lot. And I watched that fan base just tear him a new one. It seemed like every single weekend. Uh, and he has been, he's had a couple of bad games, frankly, but I think he's been awesome. And I would pay him to, to stay as your cornerback too, or at least a, a starting caliber corner that competes with another, you know, number two type. Uh, he's a free agent that they need to lock up in my opinion. So those two guys have been really good. I think Moreland made a big step this year and he's a better nickel than they've had in a little while and certainly a better nickel than I think people expected him to be the day they drafted him out of JMU. Um, I thought you'd see a lot of Fabian Moreau. And just to give you an idea of how well they've played at corner, he's kind of an afterthought. It's almost rare when you see him on the field. I've been, I've been stunned by that. Yeah. Well, it, early in the year, he, he was a guy. I mean, he was on the field down in and down out, but the other guys have played so well and knock on wood have been very durable. So, you know, that's the corner position, the safety position, Reeves has exceeded, exceeded my expectations. I thought Everett was playing pretty well. I thought uh, we've talked about Cam Curl. I mean, he's been fantastic. One of the better rookie DBs in all the league. Um, and, you know, while Collins had struggled and he had, you know, really only him and Apke, neither of whom are either playing at all or playing much now. Um, they're the only two guys that I've been disappointed by at, at all this season. So yeah, the secondary is my answer. I thought it would be a liability and it has not been. I say that saying that this is a bad matchup with the Bucs, and I do worry about them a little bit. Um, it's not like my opinion on them is, is now calm and confident all the time. But the season they've had, look, they're top two in the league statistically all year in passing. And even though that might be a little bit misleading, it, it is what it is. I mean, one team allowed fewer passing yards per game than Washington, which speaks to their front and their secondary. So kudos to Jack Del Rio. But, yeah, that's the answer for me. No doubt. 
another one, if I asked you about confidence, are you more confident in Tampa Bay's offensive line this game or in our defensive line? Because that Tampa Bay offensive line has been really good this year. I think Worf's only given up a sack. Yeah, they are very good. Worf's has blown me away at times. Um, I think the Bucks line is good. I think Washington's defensive front is better. I would rather have that side of the matchup. Now, you ask because, right, the point is that they got to get home and get sacks and pressures and hit the QB. And I don't know that they're going to do that that much because that's a Tom Brady thing. Um you know, when they do get beat, he bails them out a lot. He's smart. He knows where the ball's going. He doesn't hold on to it longer than he has to. And he's the second hardest quarterback in the league to sack. Part of that is the line, but a big part of that is Brady. So I, I don't expect the defensive front to be able to completely take the game over like they did some of their wins this season. But specific to the matchups of, say, Chase Young against um, Werfs, or uh, Montez Sweat against Smith or vice versa when they move those guys around. Um, I, yeah, I like the matchup. And I, I like John Allen on the inside. They got Ali Marpet, who's really, really good, one of the better guards in the league, I would say. But um, I think John Allen's having a banner year. I think he's going to get paid a bunch of money this offseason. So give me the Washington D-line. Uh, and to your point, I would suggest that it's those two interior pass rushers that are the key to this defensive line and their success rather than the edge guys who generally are the, um, the highlights for this yeah. team, because he doesn't do well with pressure up the middle. Right. That's the whole key. And, and people have said for years with Tom Brady is it's all about that interior pressure. I mean, it's, it's just been proven enough. I mean, he becomes a different quarterback with guys at his feet. And when he has to move, cause he does, he wants to kind of step up and then climb the pocket. And you could say this about a lot of quarterbacks. I just think he is an extreme version of this, but he will um, fall away from move away from pressure. Um, he can move better horizontally and laterally, even though he's largely kind of immobile. He's a pocket. What I say, like a pocket mover, uh, a shoulder shucker and a slider is not really a, a guy that's going to, he's not going to a destination. He's avoiding you. And, um, and if the, the pressure's at his feet, he'll bail out. You know, there, Eli Manning was terrible about that, you know, for years. He would just kind of throw balls up for grabs. Brady does not do that. But he, you can sack him. He will kind of turtle and, and get a, you know, try to get down and protect himself. So I think Allen and Payne. Payne's not quite as good a pass rusher. Um, really, really good player and great against the run. But I would say uh, Allen and maybe even Tim Settle, and when he spells him, whose efficiency this year as a pass rusher, has uh, been really impressive. Those guys have to just push the pocket, or as I like to say, collapse it from the inside out. You know, normally it's like a, a wave going over a surfer from either side, right? I mean, you need to push into his face and then have him come out toward your edge rushers, and that's kind of the key, I think. First surfing reference we've had on the show so far, so I appreciate that. I've never surfed, so I don't know how I'm the first. Nobody wants to see me shirtless on a surfboard, I can promise. <laughs> me neither, I promise that too. Grant, we finish off each week with a little over-under in play. Yeah. Uh, before we get the first question, uh, you expect that Smith will play tonight? I do, and I see all the reports, but I just don't buy the idea that he is not going to start. So I'll be proven wrong potentially. I think he starts. I also think Heineke plays. I, I have a hard time believing he'll get through four quarters, but uh, I think Smith plays and plays. I'll say the majority of the game, but we'll see how his calf holds up. 
Well, let's put the over under 200 yards passing for Smith. Under. Um, and to me, that's kind of easy uh, because, again, I don't think he'll play 60 minutes or four quarters. I, I, I don't know that he averages 200 yards, you know, in Washington since he got here in 60 minutes of football. Um, he probably, based on this year, would narrowly average more than that. But um, I, I think when you account for the fact that he might not play the whole game, I'll say under 200 yards pretty confidently. They're going to have to try to take shots down the field, right? I mean, Bucks have a good run defense. They're just the last game of the season. If they don't pull this thing out, I, I would expect them to be a little more aggressive today. Or, or no, is that wrong? You think they'll just ride this defense and whatever the offense can give them is great. Yeah, I think both. I mean, they're going to ride the defense and, and view the offense as kind of a, you know, give us what you can situation, but they do need to take shots. I mean, there's no way not to. They're going to have to score something around 13 points. They're going to have to get something easy. You know, they're probably not good enough right now with a banged up Smith and McLaurin and Gibson still coming all the way back. Uh, they're just not quite where they need to be, I don't think, to try to move the ball on six or seven 12 play drives to go get touchdowns so that it means that you got to hit a play for 50 yards and all of a sudden you're in field goal range um can McLaurin give him that you know is he healthy enough to do that I'm not sure uh they got to try they got to take their shot the, the Bucks do have a banged up second corner which is good uh, maybe it's Cam Sims rumbling after the catch making a, a couple guys miss or something but yeah they, they've got to figure out a way to make a couple big plays I agree I saw today McKissick is over 100 receptions on the season. It's fairly impressive. Second leads, uh, second on the team in receptions. Let's put him at 12 on the day. Under for McKissick, under 12. You know, I, I would bet a lot on under 12. 12 is just a big number for him. You know, I, I think seven for 75 or something's about where I would think he should be. I want him to be somewhere in that eight, nine catch range because I, Based on their offense, I'm not sure how many other guys I trust at this point to move the football. Where he's at his best is, you know, he gets the ball in the flat on a short toss, and then he can make a linebacker miss or win a foot race to the sticks and and make them look good. So it's third and eight. Smith throws the ball, or if it's Heineke, you know, at the line of scrimmage, and and they pick up nine and the chains are moving. Um, So I'll I'll say like seven for 77 or something like that for uh, McKissick. He's quicker than I realized. Yeah, he's a good player. I, I'll tell you, I when they signed him, I called somebody with the team uh, just because it was, you know, each time they made a move, I would reach out to guys I know in the front office. And I said, hey, what's the deal on this guy? You know, what kind of things should I be saying about him? So a lot of times on the show, I give my opinions, but a lot of my opinions are formed, honestly, based on people I talk to. And, uh, and the person I talked to is pretty high up in their front office said, look, this guy is going to be a huge part of our team. And I was like, really? I'm like, I'm thinking he might not make the roster or maybe he's like competing for a job. They're like, no, this guy is going to be a part of our offense. We're going to throw the ball to running backs a lot. You know, you see what they did in Carolina. We think he can be that for us. And I'm like, this dude ain't Christian McCaffrey. Like, I don't know, but they were right. I mean, he caught 80 passes this year, the most by a running back in Washington since Larry centers caught 81 back in 2001. So it's pretty crazy. Let's put you, you brought up Logan Thomas and he's been fantastic this year. Let's put touchdowns for Logan Thomas at one. I'll go. I'll go under one. Now, if you give me, if you're going to give me a half, so one is over, I'll take the over and I'll say he scores a touchdown, 
But to go over one to get two, that's uh, tough to see. I think he did that maybe in one game. So I'll uh, I'll stick with under for one touchdown. But if you're giving me a half touchdown, I think he scores today. Okay. Okay. Uh, we've talked about that D-line. Let's put the sacks at four. I'm going to go under four. Um, I think it's probably four on the nose. Uh, can I say push? Is, is that you got to go over under, right? You can't say push. So, yeah, I, I would say there's a just the math says there's a better chance for three than five. But if I had to predict the total, I think you hit it on the head with four. Um, my, my concern is this. You know, you get over that. You get five or more when you're in the lead. Look at their games this year where they had, they feasted, you know, like the, the Eagles right. week one game. They won by ten. When you're up and a team has to throw and now you know it and you don't have to play the run, you get directly up the field and you get to the quarterback. That's how you get five, six, seven, eight sack games. You're in the lead. Are they going to be in the lead? I have a hard time believing they're going to play from in front. Even if they win, I don't think it's going to be a situation where they're up 10 or 12 or 13 most of the day. So game script will make it hard to get more than four. Uh, So that you don't have to push on this one, let's put field goals at two and a half. Over. Um, I've got them scoring 16 points, which is three field goals. So um, I think they kick three field goals. Um, you know, Hopkins has had a, a tough season for him. There's no mistaking that. He's missed more kicks than he'd like. He's been better, obviously, in the last several weeks than the, the several before that. There's no margin for error for him. That's part of, I think, the, the frustration or the, you know, the fan base's um, lack of patience this year with him it'd be one thing if your offense is humming, you're scoring a lot of points, you're winning going away, like a missed kick here or there doesn't feel that big. When every single kick seems to be massive, it's a, it's a bigger deal. So I, it goes without saying they need him to make all his kicks, but I'll say he makes three kicks today. Grant, what does Washington got to do if they plan on getting this W tonight? I think they have to dominate the game defensively, which I think will be really hard to do for obvious reasons. You're playing Brady. Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, I mean, some, some of the great names of this era. Uh, in addition to that, Mike Evans, first wide receiver in, in league history to have 1,000 yards in seven straight seasons. Uh, Chris Godwin, I think, is one of the better and more underrated receivers in the league. They got weapons out the wazoo. It's, it's going to be tough to slow them down. But they have, to, they have to do that. They have to basically keep them out of rhythm, keep them from you know, getting going, keep them into the low double digits in points, probably, honestly, keep them around 13 points or 17 points, you know, 20 as a max. I think if they score 20, they probably win. So 17 or fewer, and they got to turn them over. You know, they, they got to, they got to get to three turnovers, whether that's Brady or someone else, they've got to score a touchdown, maybe defensively, they've got to set up a first and, and 10 in the red zone or a first and goal. You know, just crazy, unrealistic things. But I come back to all those things for their defense because while I'm not joning on the offense, I just don't see with the lack of health at quarterback and the lack of health for your best playmaker, McLaurin, in the last month, I just don't see the firepower to score enough to hang with the Bucs. So it's, it has to be a defensive win where you you kind of will the club to a win. All right, Grant, tell us what you think the score will be. Yeah, I've said most of the week that, uh, you know, the Bucks by around 10. Uh, it's not surprising to me that the line has hovered around kind of nine-ish, I think, the last couple of days. 
I, I'm going to say Tampa Bay wins 27 to 16. I'll stick with the number I gave you with the three field goals. Um, so what is that's a 11 point margin. So I guess Tampa Bay covers minus nine, but, um, yeah, I, I think that there is a script for them. There's a formula. There's a path for them to win this game. I, I do think it is unrealistic to play out that often. So give me the Bucks 27-16. Brady throws for 225 to 250 with a couple touchdowns. And, uh, and I'll say that Ronald Jones ends up running for over 100. Well, I think that's the most realistic. I think we're both hoping that you're wrong. I'm hoping uh, like heck that I'm wrong. That would ruin my night and my week and, and probably a yeah. couple of weeks. No doubt. Uh, Grant, thank you so much for your time today. And listen, congratulations on a, a much, much earned success. Thank you very much, Douglas. Appreciate you. All right, brother. Thanks. You got it.